Well, hi, listeners. We're so glad that you're taking time out of your schedule to do something for you. We want this to be emotionally and spiritually profitable for you. Uh, my name is Kim Honeycutt. I am the founder and president of ICU Talks. You have tapped in to our podcast, Hear Voices. I got a lot of amazing people sitting around me, so I'm going to shut my pie hole, but not for long. Do not get upset. <laughs> do not get concerned. I'm not, I'm not that removed from self. I will continue to speak, but first... I'm going to have my first MC hit the mic. Hit the mic. Mic. Hey, guys. Kristen Young here. <laughs> Hi, Kristen. Hi. This, oh, yeah. <laughs> this on that. Sorry, girl. Sorry. Go. This is Emily Ford, uh, and I will do my quick introduction that I am the director of operations for ICU Talks, which means I spend a lot of time with Kim. Can we have Ooh. a moment of silence? <laughs> Let us pray, right? Uh, she's our She's our guest today we're going to hang out with her we're going to ask her some questions we have a topic today of codependency and people pleasing but before we jump into that my other mc is sitting right here yeah. so we want her voice heard loud and clear <laughs> hey everybody this is lj hi lj glad to be here so and glad. i am a lowly yes. volunteer everybody's got titles I don't have a title. I, Kristen doesn't have a title. <laughs> have a title. Well, not one I can say on. <laughs> 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 Should I be so worthy? Right, I'm right, right. Yeah. So right. this, if you, if you're, if you're, this is your first time listening to IC Talks podcast. I just want y'all to know that we are very real. We're very raw and very vulnerable. I love listening to podcasts, but I will tell you, if I tune in and everyone sounds very vanilla, I have a hard time hanging in there because I'm looking for... I'm looking for something that doesn't have to sound super professional. I don't need, but I don't want people sounding perfect because that's part of the what we're going to talk about today. Is people think they have mm -hmm. to come across a certain way. So if you're listening, just know what you're about to hear is unpredictable, <laughs> unscripted, unscripted. That's a better word, <laughs> unscripted. So as I said, we're going to talk about codependency. I have a huge heart and and some anger, some justified anger about codependency people-pleasing, approval addiction. Uh, if you want to talk Enneagram numbers, we're talking Enneagram 2 and 9. And uh, I have a huge heart for it because I think it's one of the main things used in the church mm -hmm. by the enemy to keep people out of their relationship with Jesus. It keeps them from letting it be personal. And too many of us Christians are actually encouraging someone to stay in an addiction, and we wouldn't do that if it was alcoholism. We wouldn't do it if it was a sexual addiction, but we're sure doing it to codependence. So... Emily is a recovered codependent, yes. and so she's here, volunteered to be here. So, Emily, just tell them real quick about what your definition of codependency is and, and, and just touch on how, how you want people to understand codependency. How would you put it out there? Absolutely. Uh, I think my definition comes from a wonderful therapist and friend that helped me understand all of this too which is a codependent is someone that continually gives and gives and gives until there's nothing left of themselves mm. um, and one of my favorite sayings uh, is you can't pour from an empty cup right mm. and that i think is one of the best ones to describe yeah. a codependent they yeah. will continue to pour even after the cup is empty there's nothing left in there just keep pouring right um and never go back to fill up for themselves or take care of of that self-care yeah great description have you found that when your cup's empty you get you used to get really resentful yes then no one realized your cup was empty yes yeah and i bet you never showed anybody the cup was empty no Right. No. Yes, how do we know? <laughs> That's my question. How do we know? Because I have friends that 
do they, they give to everybody and there's no asking them like hey what do you need nothing and they just uh, keep giving so i how, don't trust that let's see i say two things um they're either really really healthy and they don't need anything which is pretty rare Probably i'm not. like or they're just saying that because part of the codependency is i don't want to come across as needy right. i don't want to bother anyone right i want to make everything easier for everyone and be really helpful so i'm just going to say i'm fine until i'm literally exhausted falling on the floor but then you probably pick yourself back up and continue to pour out you do and then you pick yourself back up and then um, as kim pointed out you get really resentful of the people around you especially the people closest to you that you love because you think why can't you see that i need help or why can't you see that i need this but you've never said it right yeah and this is the point i want to throw out there to everyone listening if you struggle with this addiction first of all i think it's the most lonely disease out there because you're so empty and I also need y'all to hear this and and percolate on this if you're a codependent it is flat out manipulation you are manipulating the relationship you're manipulating the outcome and your faith is in what you're doing and not in God or that other person you're deciding I'm not going to tell you my boundary I'm not going to tell you what I need because I want you to like me you are manipulating everything just like I did when I was an active drinker. So it's an act, like anything else. Is it an act? Like, I'm going to pretend to want to do this? Yeah, but they don't know it. Like, I didn't know how uh, drunk I was until I sobered up. Like, I haven't always known how depressed I was until I was out of the depression. It's not like they're trying. And that's why I get so charged up and so glad that Emily's here to speak truth into this, is that you don't even know how sick you are. Because an alcoholic, people kept saying, like, Kim, you're really sick. No one told Emily she was sick. Until she found an amazing, beautiful therapist who said, "Girl, you you a sick puppy. You better take a nap." I I cannot confirm or deny how great I am. (laughs) (laughs) So it's not actively putting on a mask. It's more of I'm going to do this because I get the attention or I get whatever. Subconscious. It makes me feel better. Very subconscious. Okay. Very in. Um. As I was, I was praying over this this morning and really kind of saying, like, God, what do you want me to to come and say? today and bring to this and what kept coming up was that um unlike a lot of our other speakers who i admire so much i can't go back and pinpoint one moment when there was a trauma like one specific trauma one single thing where i said that's where it started Mm. for me it was very insidious and it's been since i was little that um you don't talk about what's going on you don't always tell the truth the face that you show out to the world is that everything's okay yeah. Um, and as Kim was talking about the drinking, I did grow up in an alcoholic home with an alcoholic father and a codependent mother. Um, my mom is in recovery now as well and doing amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad has passed away. So we, we're a lot more open about it now in our healing. But like Kim said, part of that when you have someone who's either you know active addiction, active drinking – you as the um, family member, like you said, it's never, it's not your problem. You're not the one doing it. So you're constantly trying to figure out like, do I say there's something wrong? Do I not? And anytime I would bring up what was wrong or asking questions, I was very quickly silenced and said, everything was fine. Just act like it's fine. Just act like it's okay. And I started to really internalize that so that whenever I would get that kind of uneasy feeling, um, I didn't want to bring it up. Because I was always told, everything's fine. It's fine. Just act like it's okay. When you leave the house, don't say anything. Don't talk about this. It's okay. Um, and I think that's where some my codependency started was not listening to that voice and just acting like everything was okay when it wasn't. 
So is it more of a learned behavior? I mean, you know, if your yeah, mom it's was the, like that? It's debatable, but it's because, you know, addiction has to do with brain chemistry and kind of yeah. what you gravitate towards. But, like, that was your only role. Yes. Right? So without that role, the, the, to watch your mother as a, you know, super-duper superior codependent, your dad as a very chronic, very sick alcoholic, like, where is the little girl? Where is Emily? What's her role? Does she take care of her brother? Does she make sure dad and mom aren't fighting? Like, it, it's very much environmental of, like, where, what's my place? Okay, and so that's where you fit in. Mm-hmm. That was the path of least resistance. Definitely. Right? And that, okay. yes, it was a path, it was my path that I took. Um, and I think, Kim, as you were saying earlier, where there's a selfishness to it, too, that you don't realize. Right. I think it was this weird thought that I could control the situation or I was trying to. So it was like if I could just be, um, if I could be good, if I could be quiet, if I could be perfect, right. if I could get better right. grades, it might solve things at home. Or right. for me, it would get more of my dad's attention. Mm-hmm. So it was also trying to be something else when you're outside and then constantly trying to meet the needs of another person who can't even tell you what's going on. He was, you know, he was sick his whole life, drinking his whole life, never went to recovery. So it was this weird thing of like, maybe there's something I can do to change the situation. And it took me most of my life to learn, no, you can't. I w- I'm not in control of that. Right. Um, I, nothing I do is going to control that situation. So why sit there and exhaust yourself trying all these things instead of just being able to, to walk away or detach and say, I'm going to take care of me and then let the chips fall where they may. Right, and think how hard it is for someone to actually say it's okay to take care of me when as a child, when it really is about the child's needs for someone else to step in, it got overlooked because there's there's disease, there's pain in the family. Right. And so the role becomes my needs, the message, my needs don't matter, my role is taking care of someone else's needs. So then someone comes up beside her and says, hey, like, you're struggling because you're not taking care of yourself, contradicts everything during her developmental time. Mm-hmm. It's a lot to take in. It's a lot to take in. And you get this weird feeling that like, but it's selfish if I take care of myself. I'm supposed right. to always be giving. I'm supposed right. to always be doing these other things. That's selfish if I do this for me instead of doing it for everyone else. And that's where I feel like it. you see it more in the church because like mm-hmm. as a good Christian woman, like I, I'm not a, an Enneagram 2. I'm a 3, but I have a wing 2, so I have a little bit of that. And I, even as a three, who's like the performer, the achiever, we want big things. I tried to quiet that and play small for so long because it's that same idea of, but I'm not supposed to want anything for me. It's selfish if I have a goal or a dream or a need or a desire or whatever. Mm -hmm. And as a two and as a codependent, the way I heard it was when people said, you know, treat others as you want to be treated, Um, love others the way Jesus loved them. It was all about what I had to do Mm. for other people. Yeah. Um, It wasn't until I was really in my recovery that um, I had someone, another (laughs) great therapist, who (laughs) finally said it in a way that I heard it. She just set you aside. (laughs) That was... I don't know if she set me aside. Was it someone else? But it's flippant. It's not... Jesus is not talking about what you need to do for everyone else. He's talking about how you need to love yourself. Mm. Yeah. That's how he loves you. And when he's talking about, you know, treat others as you want to be treated, it was this huge mind shift for me to go, oh, you mean I need to focus on how I'm treating myself and that you love me like I am. It's not what I have to do for everybody else. It's not Not based on my performance, how much I can take care of everyone, my husband, my daughter, my, you know, my parents. No, it's just about me. And that was huge for me to understand that I was like, no, Jesus wants me to love 
me yeah. the way he loves me. And then from there, I can give to everyone else. What was your childhood like in, in the church? Did you grow up? Um, we had we had a really interesting upbringing. Um, <laughs> yes, I grew up in the church in a way. My mom has always taken us to church. Um, my dad was a very active and very loud atheist. So I grew up with it. Okay. <laughs> yes. It's fascinating. Okay. I grew up with it as um, it was a choice. So we chose to go to church. Uh, my mom kind of chose for us when we were little. It was get in the car. Um, but then as I got older, it was, it's been a rediscovery for me to really understand what the truth is behind that and what it means. Not that this was something that, um, you just kind of chose to do on Sundays and then other people didn't, and it really didn't matter. Um, or that you have somebody constantly breaking down the things that you were being told on Sunday and believing. So it was very much back and forth. Um, confusing, confusing. I think yeah. the, in a way, the good thing was very legalistic, though. So um, really reinforced that I was in control of things and you can change anything, everything, right. and you're in control of your own destiny. Um, but still a lot of like right and wrong yeah. that was in there. So that I would say there's some there were some good lessons where we still came out, my, like my brother and I came through with that. Um, but much, much different understanding now of that truth and love and peace that comes with it. There was never peace. It, mm. it sounds like it resonated with, with you back then as outward. Yes. Right? The yes. love is always outward. Always. Okay. Always. And the only way to receive God's love is if you behaved well, if you did things well. Yes. And I don't know that I ever even thought about receiving. Okay. It never even came up. Even in right. church, it was always, it was more about, um, like you went on Sunday and you listened to the message and, you know, you were there and then I like to like see my friends and hang out with them. And that was about it. Um, there was some that like, maybe God has a plan or, you know, things are, are, there's a reason behind it, but no, there really, for me, there wasn't any receiving. Okay. And that's a huge part of codependency in any dysfunction because our relationship with the Lord is offer receive, right? You know, we've talked about this before. Like the depth of you receiving is the depth of your relationship with the Lord. That's right. Right. So if you're taught it's give take and it's really just give 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 to someone who takes, mm -hmm. you don't ever get that depth. And you're talking about people who have been given by the Lord the gift of compassion, and no one's cultivating that. They're actually doing the opposite. Right. Like the church is telling you just get on the next committee, do the next thing, keep earning. That is not biblical and it will never be in someone's best interest. And I think it's huge. One of the things that um, I, I work on, like flipping that script in my mind as I pride myself on right now, I have not volunteered for anything at church and I keep Sunday morning sacred. That's great. I'm like, that oh, no, really, that's great. I go yeah. and I get fed. Right. Um, I volunteer. I do a lot of things with ICU talks. Absolutely. That's where my heart is. And that's where I choose. I've chosen to spend my time and I want to serve in that way. But it's been one of those things for me that, um, I don't, I'm like, I'm not going to volunteer. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to receive whatever message God has, whatever's going on. And that's what I do on Sundays. So that's been a big change for me. Right. Um, and a big change. Some of it's just little things too. Like you were when people say self care. I didn't really know. I mean, I heard people say that and I was like, okay. One of the things is different, I would say now is the other night I was getting tired and irritable and ready to just like pick at my child. Um, so I told her, my husband, I was like, look, I need 30 minutes to go do yoga in a room by myself. 
you guys go do what you want to do. I'm going to take that time. Um, so I, I took that time for me, did it. I felt so much better. And then what it created instead of this, the old me would have felt really guilty for not being with them yeah. and not doing something. I didn't feel guilty at all because they came out and they had ended up playing some fun game together. And they were in there laughing and talking and having this moment together that wouldn't have happened That's right. if I'd pushed through and been irritable and nasty and picking fights and griping the whole yeah. time. So it's really learning, too, that when I take care of myself, not only is it a gift to me, but it is a gift to these other people that I worry so much yeah. about caring about. Because sure. it gives them time and freedom. And then you don't have, like, grouchy mom constantly griping at you all the time because I'm in a good place. That's so well said. And that's why it's a selfish disease. Because before, if you had kept going, that moment between father and daughter doesn't happen. When we make it so much about what I'm going to do, I have to be the one that does it. The other relationships, other connections, the other blessings that will come from other people connecting don't get to happen. So that's a huge gift. That's a, that has to be amazing to realize how hard you've had to work to get there. And it felt really good because I felt physically better. I felt mentally and spiritually better. They're in there laughing. And then I was able to handle like bedtime and all of that without being, without being as irritated. You're as in a better place. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just put everybody on the spot. Like what would each one of you say? And Emily, you can start this so they can ponder for a second and learn from your wisdom. <laughs> what, what's one criteria? Like if you're, if someone's like, well, am I codependent? Like what's, what's a qualification that you realize like, oh, that's symptomatic, that's codependency? Um, if you have trouble receiving, so if you have trouble receiving a compliment, mm -hmm. a gift, if you deflect a lot, um, that, I think that's one. Yeah. That's one of the big ones. I mean, I don't know. I would think um, if you become that person that is always the catch-all, Oh, somebody needs this. Oh, I can grab it. Right. Oh, we're out of, you know, LaCroix. I'll go get it. Like, I just feel like if you become that person, I just right. think of people that I know. Like, if you become the person that, this is not really anybody's job. I'll do it. Right. Or we just know you're going to do it. You don't even have to say it. Right. Like, I would think that would be a sign yeah, of. Yeah, that's definitely a qualification. Dependency. Yeah. Yeah. I would say for me, because I, I, listening to you talk, I think I have some of that before, which is why I I am as messed up as I am. Um, <laughs> Welcome to the party. I'm sorry, a fraction of that. There's anyway, so many I'll, reasons, I'll everyone. So many. Just, never mind, there are levels there. That's just peeling the onion. But um, no, but seriously, I think for me was when my kids were little and I had, you know, was separated and divorced from my, my first husband, I felt like regardless of where they lived in the Charlotte, Mecklenburg area, and I lived on the other side, I had to do everything. It wasn't going to get done right. Oh, there wasn't yeah. going to be any value in it if I wasn't there to own it and take charge. Right. You know? Yeah, no, absolutely. All those are good. So to our listeners, if you have a hard time having a voice, if your sister texted you and you're like, hey, will you, you want to say, hey, will you please just text my husband directly and ask him that question, don't ask me, and you don't do it out of fear, that is codependent. Right, you are manipulative in that moment. You're struggling. There's a fear that's coming up for you. If you're the type to hyper-reflect and you're around a lot of people who are deflectors and you're, you're a reflector, right? Mm -hmm. So it's real easy. Codependents will gravitate towards narcissistic people. They'll go towards Enneagram 8. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh -oh. 
Look at that. Well, and part of that, and it can go towards any number because any number can be disease. But part of it is that, you know, the way to connect is through needs. And if I'm already scared to tell you my needs, and so if Emily's scared to tell me and I'm the narcissist, I never have to change. I never have to look at myself. If I yell at her and say, why would you ask me that question? She will shut down immediately because she put herself out there and she got developed to think that was wrong. So you will stay in a pattern for a really long time. So if you have a hard time have, having a voice and you reflect too much on what's being said to you and you start feeling like you're the crazy one in the relationship, that could be a sign of toxic codependency. And we had a, you shared a, a funny story, Kim, and I got a good laugh out of this one. Of This is another one, much lighter version, but it's a good a good story to tell you where you land on that spectrum is um, if you say someone spills coffee at church <laughs> and instead of let's say uh, that person spills coffee two other people run up with paper towels with the mop start yes. cleaning it up don't yes. even say anything yes. those people are the codependents well and this is jokes. okay this is what happens I'm not I spill someone's <laughs> coffee or they just work there well no way this is true life I spilled coffee I hit yep. some boys cup and spill coffee all over the floor and i just stood there and said is there an enneagram two or nine around and here they came here i'm not like and your mom was one of them know, they I quickly totally i just stood there and supervised and I got to call your mom out for a little night. And this is so benign. I just going to play with her. I was going to tell you, my healthy two self now would have looked at you and said, oh, that stinks you spilled your coffee. Here's a towel. Right. Like, that's and that's it. <laughs> and that's I'll recovery. I'll give you the towel. Now you can that, get it And that's, it's that's recovery. recovery. Sure. There's no shame or blame that's right. on my end. That's no right. one's upset that you spilled your coffee. Right. But I'm not cleaning it up for you. Right. Here's a towel. Right. And remember to the, to the disease codependent, if you so want me to clean my room i'm 16 years old you so want me to clean my room and i don't do it and so you go do it for me i have no reason to change sure and so extrapolate that into a thousand other examples in your life you want the other person you want your husband your boss your pastor you want all this change in your life but you're doing things so that no one has to you're cleaning up the coffee for them mm -hmm. so why would they change so we got to really look at what is going on with me what part of me is intentionally at this point doing things that won't let me get to where I know I want to be. And I would imagine that's why it's hard. F you said it was a lonely disease. place to be, yep. a lonely disease, because Very. I'm just thinking, yeah, the people then that don't have to change don't notice because right. you're not you're not giving me a need that I now have to take care of. I don't even recognize I have a need because you're just doing it. Right. right. You're doing everything for me. Right. Yeah. yeah. And how will you ever have a healthy relationship? Have a healthy friendship. You won't even know what it feels like and how to use all these gifts God has given you through that compassion because you're always the one, no, let me pay for the coffee. No, 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 let me. We'll go wherever you want to eat. Yeah. As long as you're happy, like you'll never get to the next level of the relationship. And God wants us there. Mm -hmm. He wants us in that, that type of deep connection with each other because that is where we will meet him and change. The more support you have, the more you will change. And you know, true change only comes from God. If I keep you at a distance through my codependency, uh, there's no change. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. So there's a there's a lot to it. It, it. it it's not an easy thing. Like you don't expect an alcoholic just to get sober. It takes time. And so please give yourself a lot of grace if this is something that's applying to you. So how how long has it been? I mean, you've been in recovery. I mean, 
I'd say that's fairly recently. Um, okay. Probably the last three years okay. that I've really been working on it. Um, starts and stops before then. Just like being yeah, yeah. out of the moving out of the house and then different relationships um, helped me kind of figure that out and build it up. But really actively has probably been the last three years. Because that's scary when you're doing something for everybody. Right. And it's not easy yourself to, to fall to back into it. Yeah. And you don't even catch yourself. And I had um, a friend this week that reminded me, um, she was like, stop being so hard on yourself. Look at all the other things you did. Why are you focusing on the one thing you didn't get done right. this week? Right. And I realized that with, you know, I was I was stressed out and I was anxious about some things and it, it just crept back in before I even knew it. And I was really thankful that she called that out and was like, why are you focusing on that one thing yeah. and not everything else that went well this week? Right, hmm? right. Yeah, there's a there's a lot to the recovery and the, the freedom. Like you have, you have a freedom now, and I want to throw this out there. Part of why codependent people pleasers get trapped is that they're constantly looking for someone else's need. And so I will tell you, if my personality, if you decide my need for me, I will never hang out with you, or I will hang out with you because and and really work with you in a healthy way about hey. I, I don't need anyone to decide my need because I've worked for 24 years in my recovery. I'll just tell you my need. So if you're deciding it's a need, you're actually making it about you. The need to be needed is not a need. It's a cover-up of shame. Well, and it's a way to not have to look at what's going on inside of you. You right. don't have to look oh, at your own feelings. Exactly. You don't have it's to exactly look at your own is. thoughts. You can right. just, it's a way of running away, really. It is. Right. I know there's something going on with me, but instead of figuring mm-hmm. out what it is, let me just find somebody else and do for you whatever needs to be done exactly so i don't have to focus on the ick or whatever that's a really good right. point yeah it's really an excellent point. point yeah so just remember like the enemy wants us distracted and really just listening to the lies and if you know you're worthy it means you know your needs are worthy and they are being fulfilled and so it, it's a pursuit mm-hmm. yes to let that happen and so letting it be okay that that there are relapses or lapses in that because it is a little hard like I can know whether I drink or not yes you know people have needs and so being there for their need in the right way you're it's you gotta be on people healthy enough that's a hit and miss and it's okay yes that's a hit and miss and I think the the other piece that's huge is, and we, we were talking about it earlier, is having that close personal relationship with Jesus is what mm-hmm. has helped me the most because even when there's needs that that I'm afraid to say or I don't know quite how to say it, I can always take those to him and they will be met in one way or another. And mm-hmm. having that closeness where you can really pray about it and you can be there, that's helped tremendously um, mm-hmm. in my recovery. Right. Trusting that he's going to come through for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And knowing that he's always there. Unlike yeah. human beings, which, you know, when you, you have these things in relationships, we all make mistakes. Sure. We're all, you know, we all have bad days. But he doesn't. He's always mm-hmm. there. Right. So if I take it to him, I know mm-hmm. it will be met. Maybe here, right. maybe in another way, but it will always be met. Yeah. Yeah, and I would love for churches and ministries like what we're a part of to continue to study this and think about it. One of the guidelines that ICU talks is that you cannot come to an event and not get fed. You can't just be a worker bee. You can't just stay in the lobby the whole time. You can't just be in the green room. You have to be there when the speakers speak. You have to hear at least one speaker, even if you're security there, because we are not encouraging anyone to be about performance. That we are here to be fed 
And from that place of being fed, we'll know what to do next. If you're not fed, you'll just do what you've always done next. Yeah, I think it's a great conversation. I mean, as a church staff member, I'm sitting here going, okay, like my campus literally runs on volunteers. Right. So to hear Emily say, Oh, I haven't volunteered in three years. I was like, good for you. But inside I was like, oh my God. I know. But I need, I don't tell people that they can go three years. I know. Know. I know. But it's true. Like just, but even it's just knowing. every person though. Because some people, you know, I, I don't. Um, but I, I spend my volunteer hours with ICU talk. Right. Sure. I've chosen. Right. And then I will give props to my husband who he volunteers for production. Yeah. So when he does that, then. And I not will, everybody yeah. needs to, but I think even. I mean, we, we have to have volunteers at our church. I mean, we just have to. Right. But even the way that we go about talking to people about it or right. making sure, you know, I just had, I just gave two of my longtime hardest working volunteers two months off for the summer. Excellent. And I said, I'm going to exactly. give you a gift and it's non-returnable. So That's right. either I'm going to give you the gift of not volunteering for two months or I'm just going to lock you out of the building like right. Right. you need <laughs> yes. to take That's a right. break. That's good. No, you really. Know? That's but good. But just for us to know. Right. And just be aware of, even as we're asking for help, even though we know we need volunteers, right. just the way that we word it. I mean, even just yeah. approaching it just a tiny right. bit differently from right. the, the church. Uh, I, I would, I'm really, help. whether we y'all use the Enneagram and I say y'all, it's us, yes. right? We go to the same church. <laughs> yes. That So you know the twos and nines are going to struggle and some of the fours struggle with this as well. Yeah. That you know to be a little more attentive towards them. Yeah. Or it is really intentional that there's volunteer days where it's about going to a codependent people pleasing training in a Christian way of, hey, like you, when you woke up this morning, your worth had reached its max. Mm-hmm. Like there's nothing you can do all day. You can go find the cure for cancer or you can stay in bed all day. His love and worth for you will not That's change. Good. So we don't have to make it about ourselves. But when I know I'm worthy and I go from that place, like how in the world do I have the energy to do what I do? It's yeah. because it comes from his worth, not because I have anything to prove. That's good. Yeah. And so I just think we have to, we have to cultivate that. Like it won't just happen. Like you've got to be intentional. Mm-hmm. And I love Mosaic because they're, they're the most intentional mental health church that I know of. I love the the volunteer schedule there too because you don't have you don't do it every Sunday. They have it specifically so that you do every other Sunday or sometimes it's once a month. It's specific things so that you don't get that burnout yeah. and it's making sure people are really taking care of themselves and getting fed. Yeah. And you know what I really like about it too is that when you can't volunteer, you can find a replacement mm-hmm. and if you don't find a replacement, there is no guilt. Yeah. I volunteered right. for other agencies who I will not name. But when I had a schedule conflict, there was, oh, you can't volunteer? Huh. Gosh, we don't really have a replacement. Are you sure? Mm -hmm. You know, there was this Mm -hmm. guilt line going on. So it's nice to have that freedom to volunteer and provide that that worth, that value for people that are coming in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I think it's about being intentional. and, And really, there is a program called Codependence Anonymous. You have to go by yourself. (laughs) <laughs> sorry it's a codependent joke so there aren't a lot of meetings in charlotte but there are meetings so you can go to coda.org and find out about that uh, joyce meyer's book approval addiction is a great book there's so much out there melody Beatty and um, pia melody are the two big authors about that whether you get a daily devotion about book about um, codependency or you do a workbook like i would do something because most of us, especially if you are a Southern Christian woman, have a have a touch of this. Sure. And we're trying to prove our worth, and it leads to resentment and burnout and compassion fatigue. Mm-hmm. 
and people will leave the church mm-hmm. very quickly if they have compassion fatigue because they won't see their part in it. Right. Oh, of course. Right. It's the yeah. church's fault. It's, it's the everybody church. else's fault. It won't be that I, I'm diseased. And there's like we want to be able to call it out, but it is also your responsibility to know what's going on with you on some level. And I would say that might be maybe another sign of it, too, is if you get mad at the church, go to another church, settle in there, volunteer, same right. thing happens. And you're right. like, oh, it's well, true. this church, too. I'm out of here. Now That's I'm right. going to jump, but I'm going to go somewhere else. Right. Or to completely live, leave Christianity. People right. have because mm-hmm. they don't can't quite see their part in all that. Yeah. And so it's tricky so really pay attention to it, Google it, do something, figure it out. Uh, I do have to say this. I want to say this about your mom. I love your mom, right? I so I'm not, I promise you I'm not slamming her. I'm not, I'm not slamming her. She has been in recovery for many, many years now and is yes. so much better than she, she has worked so hard because oh, she, I mean, yes. you have to look at the chronic level she was in. Like 43 this was, years of an yes. active alcoholic. That'll, that'll pretty much wow. solidify that'll mess those you patterns. Up. And just know if you're with a chronic active alcoholic, their love affair is with alcohol, not with themselves. There's no self. They have nothing to offer. And so you're constantly trying to take care of them, and it starts emotional, and then it becomes just physical because they get so sick. Yes. It's really, really tough. So her mom is in recovery, but Tuesday night we're at ICU Talks, and it's the end, and people are coming up, and she came up. Again, this is not this is benign, but I think it's so cute. She comes because you need a mom hug. I said, oh, no, I do not. <laughs> I do not. Because first of all, my, when you say mom hug to me, that means oh, I'm going to be pushed down oh, the stairs. Right. So I let's know. not assume that's a good thing. And let's not assume I, you know my need. Because I will immediately go, the fist go up, right? I was like, I'll hug you, Barbara, but I don't need a mom hug. I don't need to be punched in the gut. Thank you. So what did you do? Did you I hugged her, but I was really clear. I was really <laughs> clear. Did you do a little pat thing? Or uh, it's was it a, a real bear hug? She, oh, kind it's of a good hug. I can't remember because I got hugged a lot that night. But it was a good hug it was a good Al-Anon hug yes <laughs> yes that was the thing right. I was gonna say I was like the two the two things were to say as you were talking about different um resources for people that are if you suffer with codependency um Al-Anon is a wonderful resource yes especially yes. if you have um, an addict or an alcoholic in your family right um that is what that organization is for and they That's do right. tremendous work um, and I know, and I will, I will give props to my mom because we did not mean to pick on her. <laughs> but it was fun. Uh, it was she. Uh, we are very proud of her recovery. Very. Um, I would say she's been doing so well, and she and I are in a really good place where um, it's taken us this many years to get there. But we were reflecting on it the other day that um, we can both tell each other our needs, which we've never been able to do wow. our whole lives. That's wow. So now I think we were going to do something the other day, and I just texted her and I was like, I am. I am really tired and I don't, I can't do that today. And she replied back and she was like, I'm really proud of you for taking care of yourself. Sounds good. And that late, like, there's no judgment. There's wow. no, and we both really try to encourage each other to, to listen to ourselves. And, and how bonding needs. for the two of you. Like, I bet your relationship is stronger than it has ever been. It is. Because it's you're really communicating your actual needs to each other and letting them land in a safe right. space. Right. Yes. In any relationship that is good, it means that you share your needs. You don't decide for the person. You share them. They're clear. You fulfill them. There's a trust that comes from that. There's a resolution that comes. There's a healing. There's a deep healing that comes from that. And so if you are have a son or daughter, stepdaughter, anybody in your family that's an alcoholic, I want you to know there's a specialized in Charlotte, North Carolina, Al-Anon meeting on Wednesday nights. So look that up. They do parents coming together. I love talking to them because they joke all the time about, you know how you get the 
notes about, oh, little Johnny's going to Princeton and, mm-hmm. you know, Sarah Bell's a ballerina. And they're like, yeah, little Johnny got arrested for the fifth time. Right. <laughs> right? And that's so real. Yeah. I love that. I resonate with that. Uh, there's also a special meaning for men because I know it, the thought is that women stay with alcoholics and men leave. There's truth to that. Statistically, there's truth, but there is a large Al-Anon men's meeting and group in, in Charlotte. And so for parents, if it's your spouse, if it's your sister, your brother, just know there is free help for you. Because if you're looking to the alcoholic or the other person to get help and wait for them to get better, no one will get better. And we want you to get better. Right. We want you to be exactly who God says you are. Remember, you got to love the one that he saved. Yes. you got to love her. Yes. Or him, if you're listening. So, so I want to thank Emily. Can we give it up? Round of applause. Boop, 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 boop. Excellent job. Excellent job. I want to thank my co-host, LJ. Thank you, my dear. You're welcome. I want to thank Kristen. She's so she's such a three. If you don't know the Enneagram, y'all go look up a three. There's a picture of Kristen. Whatever. Anyway, we'll catch y'all next time. God bless.